You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. I want you to turn with me to Judges chapter 13 again. We're actually going to read this this week and again next week because I just can't get out of this chapter. Uh, In the most tangible way possible... These theophanies, these Christophanies, which are appearances of God and Jesus in physical form in the Old Testament, they are they demonstrate the disposition of God toward us. Though he's invisible, he is not playing, playing hide and go seek, right? He wants to be known by us. He wants to be with us physically, visibly, inseparably for all eternity. And so we come to the last two theophanies uh, in Judges. This is kind of two for the price of one. And, uh, you know, when Hudson Taylor, Hudson Taylor's a famous missionary to China. And when Hudson Taylor was literally on his way to begin that ministry, en route on a ship, on a sailboat actually, uh, they were making their way past these islands and they were in a desperate place because they had no, uh, they had no wind. They had, their sails had lost all the wind and they were beginning to drift with the tides into shallow waters where there were uh, sunken reefs. And they were getting so close to the shores of these islands, which were inhabited by cannibalistic tribes, that they could literally see the fires on the beaches. And so they began to do everything they could uh, to, to catch a sail, and they, it was to no avail. And, and, uh, and the, the captain had finally given up. And he said, look, I've, we've done all that we can do. And t- uh, Taylor had the thought, uh, no, there's, there's one more thing that we haven't done. And the captain said, what's that? And he said, four of us on board are Christians. Let us uh, retire to our cabins and agree in prayer and ask the Lord to give us an immediate breeze. And he, so he prayed briefly. And then, uh, you know, certain that the answer was coming, he came back up on top deck and said, let the sails down. And the guy was like, well, what good is that going to do? He goes, well, we just asked a wind from the Lord and he's about to give it. And sure enough, a wind came in and pulled that ship past those reefs and they went on to safety. And here's what he said. Here's what Taylor wrote of that event. Thus, God encouraged me ere landing on China's shores to bring every variety of need to him in prayer and to expect that he would honor the name of the Lord Jesus and give the help each emergency required. Church, we cannot stop as the songs we've sung just now, crying out to the Lord. And that's really uh, the, the crux of this passage today that it points us to. And so I want us to read this together. These are the words of God, Judges chapter 13. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, your barren have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head. For this child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came to her husband. And she told him, a man of God came to me and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I didn't ask him where he was from and he didn't tell me his name. 
But he said to me, behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we're to do with the child uh, who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah. And here comes the second theophany. The angel of the Lord came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, behold, the man who came to meet me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, are you the man who spoke to this woman? He said, I am. And Manoah said, now when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life and what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said uh, to Manoah, of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink or eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Manoah, Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, uh, please let us detain you and prepare a, uh, a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, if you detain me, I won't eat of your food, but if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah didn't know that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what's your name? So that when your words come true, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he wouldn't have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands or shown us all these things or now announced to us such things as these. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir in him in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtaol. May God bless the reading of his word. I want to ask uh, Dick Garrett to come up here. Uh, Richard and many are new members of our church. And uh, he's a retired doctor. We get to have, have all his wisdom here with us. <laughs> Thank you. Dear Lord, our, God, our Lord, we uh, are so glad that, uh, that you told us that, that we can come into the house of the Lord. And Lord, we, we uh, do thank you for all the many, many gifts that uh, you have given to us. And uh, so we... Uh, Praise your name and, and thank you for this. And uh, as your word is, is, is proclaimed today, that we, we pray that um, you will open our eyes so that we can see the light of the pathway that we are to follow and that uh, you will open our ears so that we can hear you and hear your calling and open our minds so that we can receive your word and assimilate it and follow it. And uh, so we just praise, praise you for all your, your many gifts. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dick.
All right, well, last week we saw, and by way of review, we saw that it, there was a sinful spiral in the book of Judges. Judges 13.1, we looked at four words last week. The people of Israel again, again, and again, and again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They was part of the cycle. Uh, in the sight of the Lord, you can't hide from God. So the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines. He had a purpose in that, and but it was only for 40 years. And I want to show this picture again, just for those of you who weren't here last week. This is the spiral. This spiral happens all the way through Judges. Now, keep in mind, we're at the end of Judges. We're not trying to go through the whole book, but we're coming to the last judge of Judges. All right? Uh, God's people were on a downward spiral that culminated in chapters 13 and 14 of Judges. Uh, they would have a time of prosperity. They would begin to act wickedly, sin against God. He would incite another nation against them to oppress them and enslave them. And then they would cry out to God for help. Remember that. They would always cry out to God for help, and God would send judges to lead them, mostly militarily, uh, into victory. And they would experience a time of peace and prosperity before starting the whole cycle over again, right? So judges is the precursor to what, if you read through the Bible, you would see was going to become a king. They're going to start having kings, King Saul, and, and then on, on into David. But this was a precursor, as if God was saying, you want a worldly king so bad, you want to be like all those other nations? Here, I'll let you have the hand of a tyrant. That's what king, that's another rendition of the word king. You want to be at the hand of a tyrant, I'll give, him in, I'll give you into the hand of a tyrant for 40 years. Double the previous captivity. But praise God, his wrath is not forever. And those 40 years of enslavement did eventually end. They were relieved by none other than mighty he-man Samson, right? It was a sinful spiral that we saw last week. But this week is really all about... The silent treatment, all right? Now, we've already seen uh, throughout the book of Judges all these spirals or cycles, but this cycle, this one with Samson, it's different. And that's really what I want to focus on because the biggest difference in this cycle is the silence. You know, there was a couple that got into a fight, married couple, and they really, boy, this was a big one, right? This was a bad fight. And so they, they decided to give each other that world-renowned, age-old silent treatment. All right, so they go off, they get into the same bed, they roll each to their own sides of the bed, and they refuse to speak to each other. And this went on for a couple of days. They get up, go to work, come home, no, no words, no voice, nothing. Well, finally, the, the, the husband started thinking, I, I, I need her help. You know, I've got, a, uh, I've got to get up early in the morning to go on this uh, business trip to Chicago for a big business meeting. And I've got to, she's got to wake me up at 5 a.m. in the morning, but he didn't wake up easy from an alarm. He, he, he would sleep through alarms, so he needed to be physically woken up sometime. So he, refusing to break the code of silence first, he wrote her a note. And he said, please wake me up at 5 a.m. And he put it on her pillow. And then he, he knew, you know, he was in bed first, and so he knew she would see it, and he rolled over, you know, acted like he was asleep, you know, like you fathers do when the baby's crying. And, um, <laughs> and so he rolled over, acted like he was asleep, and, uh, and, and he heard her come get in bed, so he knew he, she'd seen the note. Well, the next morning, he woke up, and he was in cold sweats because he looked at the clock, and it was past 9 a.m., and he knew he'd missed his flight, he'd missed his meeting in Chicago, and he jumped out of bed ready to storm downstairs and give her an earful. I'll break the code of silence now, dadgummit. But then before he went downstairs, he noticed on his side of the bed, by the nightstand, there was a little note. And it said, please wake up, it's 5 a.m. 
so the, the code of silence goes both ways, all right? What's missing in this cycle is a voice. It's a cry for help. Remember last week when we talked about God's people doing evil and evil and evil again and again and again? In that spiral, there was always the place where they cried out for help, but not this time. Listen to Judges chapter 3, verse 12. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. But what followed? Three verses later, verse 15. The people of Israel cried out to the Lord. And the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite, the left-handed man. Remember, he, he, he killed that wicked king with his left hand, drove his, drove his knife right into his belly. And then verse, uh, Judges chapter 4. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And when, after Ehud died, and the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan. But what followed? Judges 4 verse 3. The people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. Judges chapter 6. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of the Midian, Midianites for seven years. But what followed? Y'all ought to know it by now. They cried for help. Uh, Judges 6, verse 6. Israel was brought low, very low because of Midian, and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. Judges chapter 10, verse 6. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, the gods of the Philistines, the gods of everybody they ran into, right? We'll just... We want to be sure, you know, just, just in case, check all the boxes. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. But what followed? They cried out to the Lord. Judges chapter 10, verse 10. The people of Israel cried out to the Lord saying, we've sinned against you because we've forsaken our God and have served the Baals. Then we come to our passage today. Judges 13, verse 1, two theophanies telling of the birth of Samson. And what did verse 1 say? And the people of Israel, again, it was evil in the sight of the Lord. And what followed? No. Nothing. Nothing. You'll find no crying out to the Lord in chapter 13 or chapter 14. They did not cry out to the Lord. Silence. And I want to propose today three reasons God's people seem to remain silent. First, maybe it's because they mistook God's rebuke as final. Maybe they mistook God's rebuke as final. Judges chapter 6 verse 7, just before God sent Gideon to rescue them, by the way, we read, when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So, as the ESV study Bible explains, the message of the unnamed prophet represents the first time that God rebuked the people when they called upon him, right? Sometimes when we call on him, we want this little pretty little answer. Oh, everything's fine, son. But there sometimes comes rebuke in our cries. The prophet reminded the Israelites of God's faithfulness and their own apostasy. They were testing God's patience, but they should have still cried out to God. When we give up on crying out to the Lord, 
It's often because the devil has sent a delusion. Maybe it's through spiritual warfare. Maybe it's through our own repetitive sins that we refuse to tackle with the power and word of God. And so he sends them a delusion. And here's the delusion. God is done with me. And I believe there are people in this room and people in your families that believe those lies that God is done with you. I've, I, have, I have pushed him too far. I cannot go to him again. I cannot. And that's a lie from the devil. Now we know that uh, God's grace shouldn't be trampled on. If you think uh, this life is like a game of Monopoly and Jesus is your get out of jail free card, then you don't understand the Bible and you probably don't know Jesus. But the word of God says in Psalm 130, verse 1, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, if you're taking count of my sin, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Even the psalmist knew if God started taking account, we're all doomed. And we are, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Daniel 9, verse 9, To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against Him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in His laws, which He set before us by His servants, the prophets. As if Daniel's saying, hey, we'd all be dead because of our sin, if not for His mercy and forgiveness. In Jesus' own words, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 31, Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And just to be clear, that just means that forgiveness of every sin is possible. It doesn't mean He's just going to give you forgiveness when you don't ask. Blasphemy against the Spirit, by the way, is the final moment in a person's life where they reject Christ for the last time. And you and me don't know what that is. Most of us don't know when we're going to die the exact moment of our death. And so most of us don't know when the exact moment of, of final rebellion against God is where God says, I'm done. We don't know when that is. I'll just tell you what the Bible says. If you've still got breath in your lungs, you've got breath enough to cry out in repentance to God and faith. All right? But why would Jesus tell his disciples to forgive each other over and over and over again if he himself didn't do it? Every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven except the sin of final rejection of God's call for salvation. Luke 17, verse 3, Jesus says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. I do think there's a precursor there. He needs to show repentance. We do too. You can be at peace with someone. You don't have to be angry with someone over their sin. You can have a forgiving heart, but that doesn't mean you need to forgive someone of a sin if there's no repentance in their hearts. That's not healthy for them. In Scripture, seven, this number seven represents completion. You know, Jesus says seven times 70 and so on in Scripture. Matthew 18 is one of those in verse 21. Lest we, we misunderstand Luke 17, when Peter said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times is that is that the limit seven Jesus said to him I don't say to you seven times but 77 times so does he mean stop at 77 no his point is keep on doing it as long as he keeps on repenting 
The prodigal son came home in part because he truly trusted and understood the response and merciful character of his father. And by the way, we know from that story, he didn't come home with arrogance. He, come, he came home and threw himself at the mercy of his father. And that's the same way every lost person should come home to salvation, right? The fear that comes from the wrath of God is meant to bring us to the cross, not away from it. I've shared this before, but when our daughter, who's 25 now, was a little girl, we were living in New York. I was working on my master's. We were at this little inner city church, and so they didn't have any childcare or anything. So Vicky and I would swap out who went and sat in the service because they still had Sunday night services. And I would stay home with the kids, and I would chase Shiloh around the house. You know, you know, big bear, you know. And she would get scared and run. And then she'd reach a point where she was so scared, she'd turn around and she'd run to daddy and jump into my arms. And then I'd calm her down and then she'd want to run again. And then she'd get scared. But where, where was there to run for safety in our house except to her father? And that is a picture. That's the purpose of fearful conviction of sin, to send us running to the cross in repentance and faith. Church, don't you dare take the bait. Don't you ever get caught in the trap of God is done with me. That's a lie. Don't you shame God like that. He didn't die for you to turn away from him. He died for you to turn to him in boldness and repentance. Secondly, maybe they knew God was wise to false repentance. In Judges chapter 10, verse 10, the people of Israel cried out to the Lord saying, we have sinned against you because we've forsaken our God and have served the Baals. And the Lord said to the people of Israel, did I not save you from the Egyptians and a whole host of other people? And you cried out to me, and I saved you out, uh, out of their hand, yet you've forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will save you no more. Go and cry out to the gods whom you've chosen. Let them save you in your time of distress. And the people of Israel said to the Lord, we've sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And he became impatient over the misery of Israel. What a statement. I think of it like a parent who puts their kid in a timeout. You know, maybe, you know, maybe it was a just timeout, but you get to, you know, it's a little too long and, and you get impatient with their misery. It's not because they didn't deserve it. It's because your overwhelming unconditional love for your children makes you relent. I'm not saying you should. It's good for a parent to follow through on discipline, but I'm saying sometimes we, we relent because of our own impatience. And I believe that these people were not truly repentant. You know, that it's what I call foxhole faith. You're in the middle of a war and you're in a foxhole and the bombs are hitting all around you and you cry out to the God of the foxhole. <laughs> Whoever you are, God, whoever that man is upstairs, I'm good with him. We made peace. Oh, did you? Really? Well, tell me about how that worked. Because you didn't make nothing. <laughs> he made the peace on the cross and you surrendered to it if you surrendered at all. Maybe they didn't cry out this time because they knew that God knew that they didn't really mean it. I think Judges chapter two sheds a little light on this in verse 11. God's people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. Verse 12, they abandoned the Lord, went after other gods, provoked the Lord to anger. And what followed 
Verse 18, for the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. Now, of course, this groaning, this word groaning is replaced with a different word in the other passages, crying out to the Lord. But this word groaning is more like remorse than it is repentance. Let me ask you, church, if, you're, if our sin lands us in a bad situation, are we more angry about it <laughs> than we are repentant over what got us there? Or are we so prideful that we dare not attribute any of our own faults to the situation or see God's hand in strengthening our Christian character through this suffering? And just as a caveat to those who may be in a place of suffering that you are struggling to see spiritually how you induced it. Right? Maybe you are innocent. There are times where we're in suffering where we may be innocent of the suffering that we're in. Right? We get why rebellious hearts groan. You know, they're, they're selfish. They don't like the inconvenience of judgment. So inconvenient. I don't want to feel guilt. Right? I don't want to be judged. But in the midst of every one of these cycles of captivity throughout Judges, I truly believe from other passages in scripture, like when Elijah said, oh, it's, I'm the only one left here. And God said, I got 7,000, I got thousands of people that hadn't bailed, bowed down to Baal yet. You ain't the only one. So I do think there were a few worshipers of Yahweh who were genuinely broken and praying for deliverance. And let me just tell you, it's those very folks swept up in and living under the justice of God, which we could be living under now in America, I think it's those very people who inspire the next generation of committed believers. And I'll prove it to you. Raise your hand if you know who Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are. Just raise your hand if you know. All right, what about Daniel and the lion's den? Y'all remember that story? Where did those stories come from? Captivity. The people of God's people were in captivity when those glorious examples of faith rose up. So that's just a little caveat. That's just a little side sermon, all right? However, I believe and scripture suggests that the, the, in this story that their repentance was false. And I think they knew it and I think they came to realize that God knew it. So they just stopped crying out to the Lord for help. And friend, that's the very emergency that warrants a cry for help when you don't want to cry. Hunter and I were talking about a song this week that was an old song, a song by the late Keith Green, who was a great man of God, died in a plane crash with one of his children, uh, but just a, used to sing in clubs and everywhere, and God got a hold of his heart. Just an incredible. He wrote a song called, Oh Lord, You're Beautiful. Maybe we'll do it one day. But he, in an interview over 40 years ago about this song, he said, of this song on Monday night of this week at about midnight I wrote a letter to the Lord I didn't know where to mail it <laughs> so I put it in my Bible and I asked him Lord you got to do something about my heart you know a lot of times gone by since I met you and it's starting to harden up you know it's kind of natural I want to have baby skin Lord I want to have skin like a baby on my heart it's starting to get old and wrinkled and callous. It's not because of anything I'm doing. It's because of a lot of things I'm not doing. And I stayed up till about two in the morning writing this song. And I just want to read to you one line from that song. Oh Lord, please light the fire that once burned bright and clear. Replace the lamp of my first love that burns with holy fear. 
And when we call, when we begin to feel the callousness of this world, our anger over social media and the world we're living in and our current situation, when we begin to let this world creep in and, and callous our hearts, when we begin to lose remorse over the things God's word calls sin, it is time to cry out to God, not a time to remain silent. The callousness of your heart is the very emergency that calls you to cry out to him and say, God, give me a heart. Why were people, God's people silent this time? Perhaps they mistook God's uh, rebuke as final. Perhaps they knew God was wise to their false repentance. Or third, maybe they had a deluded heart. Isaiah 55 verse 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God for he will abundantly pardon. I was reading this week uh, in a news article just from last January, New York article. It said only a quarter of Americans are willing to ask for help before tackling something new. A survey that they conducted with over 2,000 Americans uh, asked at what point do you ask for help when starting something new and, uh, and how they rely on their support system in life. They found that 73% <laughs> don't ask for help before they uh, absolutely need it. Half of respondents wait to ask uh, for help until it starts to become too overwhelming. 8% ask when it's too late and they can't continue. And 13% say uh, they never ask for help at all. Only 27% of Americans ask for guidance before they start something new. The survey also found that 53% feel held back from achieving certain goals in their lives because they try to go it alone. I meet people all the time that want to get their lives straight and then come to Jesus. Friend, that's impossible. If you can't admit your life's never going to be straight without Christ, you're not ready to receive him. You're broken and God honors brokenness. And God says, I'm near to the broken. And so we need to remember that. Why not ask, right? Maybe it's because we're stubborn. <laughs> Maybe it's because we're prideful and we see help as a weakness. We see it as an attack on our independence and our self-sufficiency. We may feel like a failure to ask for help. But I'll just remind you of when Jesus sent the, the disciples out in Luke 9 and Luke 10. He says, don't take anything extra. Don't take an extra staff or an extra pair of sandals. Trust me to provide for your needs. He sent them out needy. He sent them without any extra provisions because he was going to provide everything they needed in the harvest. Let me tell you something, friend. If you don't, if you're too stubborn to cry out to God, it's a slippery slope and that silent treatment will land you in a very dark place. It's a place that God calls a deluded heart. Speaking of the foolishness of the idolatry of God's people, the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 44 verse 18, they know not nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so that they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say half of it is burned in the fire. What does that mean? He's talking about idolatry. He's talking about material goods. He's talking about a clump of wood 
And you're going to shave some of that wood off and cook your dinner with it. And you're going to shave the other part off and, and worship it. How dumb is that? Y'all got a lot of toys in your driveways. <laughs> We're the same way. Our idols look different, but they're the same way. Maybe an image on a cell phone. Maybe a car in the driveway. Maybe a, boat, a, a house, an extra house. A mistress. I don't know what your idol is, but God knows what it is, and he's the only one that needs to know. So he goes on and says, No one considers nor is there knowledge or discernment to say half of it's burned in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself. <laughs> He's so deluded he doesn't even see the stupidity of his own actions. That's a perfect segue to next week's message. God's people, they'd come to a place where they could not and were not going to cry out to God any longer. And what happens next? Two appearances of God in the flesh. <laughs> and rescue for his people. Rescue they weren't even asking for. Listen to that, church. You don't have to be asking for help to God to, for God to send it. He's not waiting on you. That's all the more reason to love him and surrender our hearts to him today. No more silent treatment, right? Let your heart cry out to Jesus for help. It's never too late. You know, the great who's the great hockey player, Wayne Gretzky said, what was that famous quote? You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. <laughs> so take the shot, cry out to God before your heart gets so deluded you don't know how to. Would you stand? <clears throat> Judges chapter 21 verse 25 is the last verse in this, the book of Judges. And listen to what the book says. Listen to what the verse says. Judges 21, 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Friend, we need to be doing what's right in God's eyes. And that means crying out to him and never giving up. Even when he responds with a rebuke, you take that rebuke because you deserve it. And you keep crying out to him. God will be merciful. He's a merciful and gracious God. Do not stop crying out to God. Father God, I pray today that if there are people in here who think God is done with me, I've pushed him to the brink. I've pushed him too far. God, it only takes one sin to get us out of heaven and we are all sinners. None of us deserve to be in the presence of a holy king. But God, we're not gonna stop crying out to you. We're gonna be a people that though we fail miserably, we're not going to use our miserable failures as, as uh, yeah, to you know, trample on your grace. But when we do fail, God, as we fight the struggle against sin in a wicked world, we're going to get back up and we're going to or get back down and cry out to you, Lord, for mercy. And we cry out to you now. I pray if there's someone here that does not know you, they would see the patience that you have that you love us so much you relent even when we're not asking. And I pray, God, that today they would ask and say, Lord, save me. I trust in your death 
in your burial and your resurrection. And I believe you secured through your own blood the forgiveness of my sins through your perfect son, Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice. I pray they would call out on the name of the Lord, call on you and be saved. I pray for others that just have been sitting in those chairs, soaking it up, and now they're, they, they need to not just be a sponge, they need to get squeezed uh, out in service to you in a local church. I pray they'd come and join this church to serve you. Pray whatever the decision is that you're leading for us. Some of us may need to just sit in our seats and repent and cry out to you and say, Lord, I need, I need baby skin. I need baby skin. My heart's hard. I'm cynical. I'm angry all the time. And I need you to, I need a fresh wind and a fresh fire from you, Lord. You can ask him now, just in the silence of your own heart while we sit here and sing. Whatever the decision is, obey him before your heart's deluded and doesn't know how. We ask these things, Lord. We ask that you would do this for your own glory. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been Sermon Audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.